guys have already opened your presents? Anybody? <laughs> yes, our family did. And so uh, I think the earliest we've ever done it is three weeks. So this year was actually pretty good for us to wait this long. So we got them all out of the way, and it was lots of fun. So someone's like, why do you do it? Because I'm like, waiting is torture. That's why. And so usually the, like, the day I buy the present, I'm like, Mary, I got you something. She's like, don't talk about it because you're going to want to give it to me. I'm like, no. I'm, and I'm like, do you want it? <laughs> She's like, no, I want to be surprised. So as soon as she tells me, I'm like, yes. I'm like, I'll wear it instantly. Go give it to me. So, Well, good. Well, Christmas, what a wonderful time of the year. It's, it's like the one time of the year where the whole world kind of stops and gets a little bit nicer. Like they think nicer thoughts and like you're in, you know, like regular stores and you're hearing songs about Jesus. It's kind of awesome. There was actually a war where both sides agreed to cease fire on Christmas Day and then the next day, they went back to killing each other. And so there's, just some, there's something special about Christmas here. And, and unfortunately, it seems like, uh, you know, there's no nativity scenes anymore. It's just like Santa Claus and like some penguins and stuff like that. But um, how many of you guys have a nativity scene at home? You guys got something like that little thing? Yeah. And so you probably got the regular cast of characters. You got the shepherds. You got the wise men. <clears throat> maybe a few animals. You got the little manger, Joseph, Mary. Of course, baby Jesus. Hopefully he's there. And uh, ours has an angel or two. But that's about all the supernatural that you see kind of in the Christmas nativity scene. It's maybe, maybe a couple of angels. And um, if you, what's the kind of the overall mood of the scene of a nativity scene? It's kind of like warm and pastoral and intimate. You know, almost looks like it'd be fun to be there. I mean, guys, getting birth in a barn isn't like an awesome thing. But we, we've kind of niced it up there. You know, it's like, oh, it'd be so cool to, you know, have my child in a barn, you know, in a, in a pig trough, you know. So, but... Um, Listen, while it's all very true, it was a nice scene. We're picturing like silent night and away in a manger and it's so warm. And that is true. There were, all, all those things happen, but there's a whole other side of this I don't think it's talked about in Christmas. And so we're going to kind of look at Christmas from heaven's perspective. What was going on here? If you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. Yes, the book of Revelation on Christmas morning. Can you believe it's happening here? And so we're going to uh, get a glimpse of Christmas as it looked far beyond our galaxy, far, far away. This is Christmas from the angel's point of view. Revelation chapter 12. Now, Revelation is a book, uh, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of the Antichrist. <clears throat> a lot of people are reading and they're just looking for bad news and they're just looking for like how bad. It's actually a revelation. Uh, the way I read it, it's seven different visions. It has seven different pictures of the cross of Christ and his work for us and the implications of that. So Revelation 12 is the fourth vision, uh, kind of a different picture. Now we're getting a picture from uh, Christmas morning, Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with her moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. This is a picture of Israel. We could trace the Old Testament image, imagery, but this is a picture of Israel. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. The Messiah throughout the Old Testament was said to be coming from the nation of Israel. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, Boo. With seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, which are crowns representing authority. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. So here's the, uh, here's the enemy crouched right before Israel. She is just getting ready to give birth. We're going to see who she's giving birth to. So that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Here we are, the Christmas story from heaven's perspective. And uh, so the nation of Israel is, is pictured as a woman about to give birth to a, woman, to a male child who's going to rule with a rod of iron. That's a picture of the Messiah from Psalm chapter 2, verse 9. A few verses later, we're going to find out the dragon is the devil. 
So here you have this crazy picture. It's like this cosmic monster appears on this, on this screen. And he has, uh, what was it? Seven, I lost it already. Uh, seven, seven heads. Uh, seven heads, ten horns, and on his head, seven crowns. Now, seven is the number of fullness. It's speaking of the fullness of his royalty. Ten is the number of completion, and horns speaks of power and authority. So here, here's the picture here. During this time, the ruler, the devil is the ruler on earth. He has authority on earth. It is complete. It is total. We saw that um, back in Genesis chapter 1, Adam and Eve were given authority to rule over the earth, but then they submitted to the devil. When they were... Um, when they believed the liar, they, uh, they became a slave to the, to the one who held the lie over them. They, they gave their authority over to the devil. And so now the devil is the prince of this world. He's the god of this world. He has all authority over this world. And it says he swept a third of the stars with his tail. Now, again, the book of Revelation is filled with lots of imagery. And so we see stars were messengers or angels. So one-third of the angels in heaven, he takes with him. Here's some good news. A lot of people are like, oh, man, like a third of the heaven, uh, the angels are now turned into demons. Here's some good news. That means two-thirds of the angels are still good. There's twice as many angels as demons. Like, not a lot of people realize that. They just talk about the devil. I'm like, there's twice as many angels. This is good news here. One-third, two-thirds. It's, come on, it's algebra. It's not even algebra. It's not even that complicated. It's just basic fractions, all right? Twice as many angels as demons. And here's some good news, too. Demons can't have babies. There's already a fixed number. They're not, like, multiplying, like, in the darkness. And I wasn't in the notes. And so here's Satan, the dragon. He stands and he inspires King Herod to kill all of the male children. Here he's trying to wipe out the birth. He says he's trying to devour this child who's going to be born. So now the child has been born. It's like the dragon snapped, but he missed. And the story continues in verse 7. Now a war arose in heaven. This is picturing Resurrection Day. This is, uh, this is uh, picturing the cross of Christ here. Now a war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Michael is, uh, is the highest level of angel. He's not mentioned many times, but he often was the defender of Israel. It's like when Israel needed help, Michael showed up on the scene. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So here's this, uh, the, the, the God of this world. At the resurrection, he loses all of his power. He loses his authority. Uh, Satan once had the power, but now he's lost all of it. So as Jesus raises from the dead, here's the statement he makes in Matthew. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. What's he saying? I got it all back. I mean, that's pretty inclusive. If Jesus has all authority, it means someone has no authority. That's why he's called the deceiver. The only authority the enemy has over you is deception. If he can get you to believe something, then that, that lie empowers the liar. But he doesn't have any real power. He's just a deceiver. He got it all back. So the child is born. The woman escapes. The dragon is defeated. And the story continues like this. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, it's a picture of the church now, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. This is the story we now found ourselves in. The, you know, the enemy tried to kill Jesus, he rose up, defeated the enemy, but now the enemy is, continues to make war against the children of God. 
We're right in the middle of it. It's almost like this life and death struggle in the midst of a divine romance. It's like God, he, we're pictured as his bride. And it's like, this, uh, it's like this man who's in love and he crosses all the galaxy over every single hurdle. You see all these things that he crosses through Israel to get to them. And he's saying, I want my bride back. I want my kids back. That's really the picture of the Bible is a, a life and death struggle in the midst of a divine romance. I love this picture of the Messiah in uh, the book of Isaiah. He's a prophet who foresaw, he foresaw Jesus before he came to earth. Ever thought about that? Before Jesus ever became a, a human being, he saw him up there in heaven, what he was like before the incarnation. And here's what he, when he foresees what he's going to be like, he says this in Isaiah chapter 9. I, do, I didn't give you guys this one. I just wrote the one, this one a little while ago, sorry. Isaiah 9, for, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. In other words, he's literally carrying the authority of heaven as he walks. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, it didn't look like much had happened, but actually everything had changed. It's almost like this seed was planted, and now it's up to us to water that seed and to spread that message, to spread his kingdom. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The kingdom of God has invaded earth. Uh, one person called uh, the birth of Christ the great invasion. A daring raid by the ruler of the forces of good into the universe's seat of evil. It's almost like D-Day. It was this daring invasion, and it didn't look like anything had changed, but actually everything had changed. So Jesus said this, you're to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's he saying? That of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And it's up to us to take this message, to take the rule and reign of God and to spread it into these circumstances. Here's what I want to do. I want you to imagine with me, what would it look like if that actually happened? Because this is like our only assignment on earth. I'm not sure if you realize it. It's not to like, um, you know, retire with more money than you have expenses. It's not to pay your taxes on time. It's not to decide whether to get the vaccine or not to get the vaccine. <clears throat> I'm not talking about that. <laughs> Our job is to bring heaven to earth. And so what would it look like if it actually, uh, it actually happened? So the Bible's filled with these images, these word pictures, these symbols of what that would look like. So let's just go through a couple of these here. Let's look at what it looked like in the sphere of economics and human need. Revelation chapter 7, verse 16, it says, never, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. Think about what that would look like, the elimination of hunger on our planet. No more pictures of little children with swollen bellies. No more scarcity. No more mothers trying to scrounge for food so their baby could survive another day. But it's not just the end of poverty. It's actually the picture of overflow of abundance would be introduced to this planet. Amos 9.13 says, The time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and the grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. Then the terraced vineyards on the hill of Israel will drip with sweet wine. Now that's written in a semi-desert context. So they would reap, and they would have to wait a really long time to be able to reap again. It would just be these long seasons of sowing, waiting, reaping. And uh, the writer uses this imagery, says the earth, when it, when, because the earth is under a curse, is what the Bible says when, when Adam and Eve sinned. It says when that is restored, it says that the one who plows and the one who reaps, they're going to bump into each other because there's such abundance. It's like those seasons, they're just such abundance, those things are continually happening. One translation says this, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Now, it doesn't mean there's literally going to be like Chardonnay in the Rockies. We're not going to be like holding our cups up to the mountains there. 
It's an image of abundance. It's an image of God's abundance. In our terms, we say things like this. Every day, the stock market will end a little higher than the day before. The bull will dwell on Wall Street forever, and the bear will visit no more. The Federal Reserve will never have to raise interest rates again. The jobless rate will go down to zero and stay there, and everybody will love what they do. Then there's the sphere of politics. How many of you guys realize the sphere of politics could use the kingdom of God right about now? Isaiah 2.4 says, God will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. Think about these words. You ready for this? They will beat their swords into plowshares. They will take their instruments of death and turn them into fruitfulness. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. No more fighting. No more hatred. No more protests. They won't have any use for swords anymore, so they'll beat them into plowshares. I love one writer. He puts this in modern terms. Intercontinental ballistic missile silos will be converted into training tanks for inner city kids to learn scuba diving in. <laughs> and there will be peace. There'll be no such thing as enemies. Isaiah 11:6. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together, two animals that don't typically uh, cohabitate nicely, right? Uh, some translations say the lion and the lamb. The wolf will, lay, will live with the lamb. Babies will crawl safely among poisonous snakes. Yes, a little child will put its hand in the nest of deadly snakes and pull it out unharmed. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. The writer is just using this graphic imagery of what it would be like if the kingdom of God were fully realized. Here's how we would say it today. The Trumps would have the Bidens and the Clintons over for a cookout. And their grandchildren would play duck, duck, goose together. And Black Lives Matter and the KKK would gather for a picnic in the park and exchange recipes. And the lion would lay down with the lamb. And the buckeye would lay down with the wolverine. <laughs> so you're like, hold on, Jim, you went a little too far on that one. I'm not even sure I'd like that. And the dog will make peace with the rabbit and the cat will be no more. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, so that's after all. That's a bad one. All you cat lovers, don't be hating on me. There's only one cat in heaven, and he's a lion, all right? John says in his vision, Revelation 21, 21, that the street of the city of God is paved with pure gold, and the city is surrounded by 12 gates, and each gate is made with a single pearl. He's using this imagery to show that when the kingdom of God is fully realized, that place where we crave, human, we crave beauty, there's that hunger for uh, the, the artistic and the creativity, it will be fully satisfied. No more pollution, no more rundown inner cities, no more buildings with graffiti, no more concrete ghettos. The genius that God has placed in people made in his image, the image of the creator, it would blossom, it would flourish. And every day would be a masterpiece, just beauty. The drawings little children give to their parents to hang on the refrigerator, each one would be a work of art, something like Michelangelo or Van Gogh or Picasso. Actually, they already look like Picasso, and so they would begin to look more like Michelangelo and Van Gogh. Oh, come on, that was better than that one. Come on. <laughs> when teenage girls in that city look at magazine covers and then look in the mirror, they would think, I look just right. Because society would have learned to see and celebrate the beauty that God sees when he sees human beings made in his image. Whatever their shape or size or color, they would all look in the mirror and say, God is good. Scripture writers say that the kingdom of God, there will be no more fear. 
John puts it like this in Revelation 21, 25. No, on no day will its gates ever be shut because there's no night there. You know, nighttime was a no, real time of vulnerability in the ancient Near East. It was a time of darkness. It's when crimes were committed, a time of fear. And it says, in the kingdom of God, those days will be over. No more locked doors. No more gated communities. No more security systems. You'll never lose your keys because there'll be no more keys. Squad cars will pull people over to commend them for their good deeds. They will ask drivers, do you know why I pulled you over? And then they will write citations praising them for their activity and courtesy to other drivers. Squad cars will still pull in donut shops, but donuts will now be loaded with protein. <laughs> and the keto diet people will write books saying it's a good idea to eat them at every meal. And the kingdom of God will redeem family life. Luke 117, it says, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. No more separations, no more difficult marriages, no more affairs, no more abuse, no more neglect, no unloved, no unwanted child. Members of households will stay up late at night thinking of ways to serve each other. Children will insist that their little brother get a larger piece of the cake. People will turn on Jerry Springer to watch shows with titles like, My Spouse Secretly Loves Me Twice As Much As I Thought He Did. <laughs> when the kingdom of God comes, there will be no more sickness. Isaiah 33, 24. And no one living in Zion will say, I am sick. And the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. No more diseases. No more COVID. No more bodies wasting away from disease. No more bodies degenerating from old age. No more need for medicine. Fortunately, at Zion, we've gotten peaks of, uh, of some of these things. We just heard a really fun report. Uh, Mary and I were in Florida, and uh, there was a lady there, and she had, it was just a little while ago, and uh, she had stage four cancer. And it was, uh, they, there's nothing they could do, but her stomach was so full of cancer, they were going to try to remove some of the tumors just so she could eat in her uh, last little bit of life. And so uh, we were at a friend's house. She came over and we prayed. And I think it was like on a Monday. And on Wednesday, she went in for surgery. And they uh, opened her up for surgery and uh, they couldn't find any tumors. And so they, uh, yeah, so they closed her up. They ran the test. No more tumors, no more cancer. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, God. What happened? The kingdom of heaven invaded the kingdom of this earth in her body. There's not room for both. And then maybe the most beautiful words of all about the kingdom, Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4. And I heard a loud voice saying, Now the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Think about these words. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Anyone want to live in a world like that? No more Kleenex. No more funeral homes. We'll turn caskets into toy chests. Hearses will be converted into sports utility vehicles with names like Jeep Grand Resurrection. <laughs> and there'll be counselors, but you'll go to them just because you're so full of gratitude that you're willing to pay somebody just to listen to you right now. And every day you'll be home with God, never separated by sin. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, God promises, I will remove their hearts of stone and replace them with the heart of flesh. No more stony hearts, no more cold hearts, no more stubborn hearts. You'll never say something you'll regret later. You'll never do anything you'll be ashamed of. You'll never do anything to feel guilty about. When you see somebody else's success or, or wealth, you won't even occur to you to be envious but you only to rejoice if you, as if you had those things yourself. And every tribe and tongue and people and nation will gather like brothers and sisters around the throne. 
and you will see the living God. Did you guys hear me on that one? There will be a day when you will see the living God. It's not with nose pressed on the outside window. Full access. No distance. No separation. No more doubt. No more questions. You will look in the face of God, and he will be his God. He will be your God, and you will be his child. And every thought will be a prayer, and every prayer will be a conversation between you and the living God. And God himself will wipe away every tear. I don't know how he's going to do it. And then he'll remove the tear ducts. And appoint his finger at sadness and sorrow, it will be banished. And it says there will be joy inexpressible. Isaiah 55, 12, the trees of the field will clap their hands as God brings all of creation to its redemptive potential. Neither human beings nor the earth will be under curse anymore. We've been under a curse for a long time. Cursed is the ground, cursed is the man, cursed is the woman, but no more curse. And that's what it would look like if God's kingdom were to come to earth. <laughs> My iPad's trying to update right now. Do not do that to me. That's what would happen if Jesus were to run the world. Here's the thing. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The way that his rule is going to come to this earth without any end is through you and me. It's when we take our little kingdoms and we submit it to his kingdom. I love how Mark chapter 1 puts it, uh, verses 14 and 15. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. The good news is the gospel. It's his message. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is saying, uh, not just that it's near, it's available. It's accessible. It's within reach. Anybody nowadays can step into the kingdom of God and learn how to live from him if you want to. It's now available. This is the gospel that it's now possible for ordinary human beings like you and me to live in the presence and the power of God. Jesus says, just follow me. Learn from me how to live your whole life under my presence and power. And when men and women, uh, they hear this message, they sacrifice their possessions for it. They sacrifice their careers for it. They sacrifice their homes for it. They lived for it. They died for it. And they did it with joy. They did it with laughing and weeping and dancing, unbelievably recognizing their good fortune to be able to live in the kingdom of God. How will the kingdom of God come? How will this fallen earth get straight? You know, people have been trying to do it for a long time on their own strength. Revolutions come and go. Sometimes people think it's a political deal. Oddly enough, sometimes even church people think this. Let's just get our guy elected. Oddly enough, sometimes even church people think this. Let's just get our guy elected. Guys, so far the kingdom of God has not arrived on Air Force One, and it's, I don't think it's going to happen. It's going to happen through people like you and me submitting our hearts, bringing good to the earth, uh, one of the most powerful 30 minutes of film I've ever seen is the opening sequence of Saving Private Ryan. Anyone ever seen that? It's just, uh, you, you're just kind of speechless. I, I'd, I'd encourage you to watch it if, you've, uh, if you're able to. <laughs> and uh, veterans say it's perhaps the most realistic picture ever given of, of the suffering of the Allied armies on D-Day. It was an unbelievable price that was paid just to gain a toehold, just to gain a few inches of land on the Omaha beach there. And at the end of D-Day, it didn't look like much had changed. The vast majority of the continent of Europe was still under the power of the swastika. But there was just this one plot of land, this few feet of seashore on this obscure beach, that, uh, this tiny stretch of land, but it was enough. Because the truth is, by the end of the day, it didn't look like much had changed, but everything had changed. It was just a tiny crack, but it got a little bit bigger every single day. Gained a little more land every single day. 
the Allied forces would get a little bit stronger every single day. There was still a lot of fighting. There was still a lot of suffering, a lot of dying. But now it was just a matter of time until one day Paris was liberated. And then all of France was liberated. Nazi concentration camps were overrun. Prisoners were set free. Then there came a day when Hitler destroyed himself in the bunker, when judgment came to the beast, which it always does, which it always will. Then came VE Day, victory over Europe. Then came VJ Day, victory over Japan in the Pacific. The soldiers would come home. The enemy was vanquished. The war was over. Now listen, between the initial landing of the beaches of Normandy and the final firing of the final shot, there was a long gap. But the truth is, victory was sealed on D-Day. Between D-Day and V-E Day, it was just a matter of time. One day, a woman gave birth to a son, a male child, who was destined to rule the earth with a rod of iron. He taught and lived in about a kingdom and a kind of life the rest of us had always dreamed for, but only dared to hope for. And at the cost that none of us were fully understand, he walked to Calvary. He took upon himself a cross, all the brokenness of the human race, all the suffering of D-Day in Omaha Beach, everything that humans would do, all the suffering of all the sin and all the pain and all the sickness from Adam and Eve until the final breath. And after the Sabbath day before Jesus' friends went to care for his body, it didn't look like anything had changed. He had died. He was in the ground. Pilate was still on the throne. Rome was still ruling over the Jews. Caesar still reigned and didn't even know the name of this obscure Messiah in this little country. Nobody knew it at first except a couple of women that that was D-Day. That was the opening. It was tiny at first. It was no bigger than the entrance of a tomb. But every time you engage in battle, every time you resist sin, every time you proclaim the gospel, every time you give a portion of your resources for the spread of the kingdom, every time you offer a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, Every time you pray for the sick and they get healed, every time that opening gets a little bit larger and a little bit larger and darkness gets pushed back a little more, the light gets a little stronger. God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven and the increase of his government and of peace, it knows no end. And one day liberation will come. Make no mistake about it, there will be a lot of fighting. There will be suffering, a lot of dying. But D-Day already happened when hardly anybody was looking. And at the end of that one day, everything had changed. And now it's just a matter of time. There will be a day when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And our God will reign unchallenged. I believe Christmas is a lot more like the opening scenes of Save it Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan. A dangerous mission, a daring invasion, a great raid into enemy territory to save the world, to save you and me, and to bring us kingdom. Christmas is the day that heaven invaded earth. And so I'm here to ask you this morning, where do you need heaven to invade your life? Where do we need that invasion, that, that, that thing that Jesus already did, that crack in it, to begin to pour light into our life? And so uh, I want you, we just talked about some different areas here. So I want you to just pick one of those areas. And we're just going to believe God. We're not going to just come as beggars. We're coming as sons and daughters with full access to everything that Jesus paid for. And so uh, maybe it's an area in your family. Maybe it's an area in your finances. Maybe it's an area of your body. Maybe it's all the above. Maybe you have a heart for what's going on in our political realm right now, maybe your neighborhood, but where is it you want to see heaven invade earth? And so let's just take a moment here, and I want you to just talk to God about that and just pray that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, name that place as it is in heaven, because we just saw what would happen if Jesus ran the world. So Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you, and we thank you for the victory of Jesus. We thank you for that daring invasion 
And Lord, we begin to dream about what it would look like as your kingdom is spread over this earth. So right now, I just talk to him about that area. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for uh, rescuing us. We thank you for never giving up on us. We thank you for sending your son, the ultimate act of love. We thank you for Christmas. Lord, a day where it didn't look like much had happened, but everything had changed. And Lord, I pray that we would recognize that our mission is not to just make it to heaven, but to bring heaven to earth. And I pray in these situations that seem desperate and needy that you would invade right now. I pray for bodies that need to be healed in the name of Jesus. We recognize Jesus is our healer. We push off the disappointments. We push past the prayers that didn't look like anything happened. And we look to you afresh and we say, be made whole in the name of Jesus. Disease come off that body in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for families where hearts need to be softened. If you're listening to my voice, I just say, you go first. You go in with a soft answer that turns away wrath. You'll go in owning your part. You go in with a heart of forgiveness. You go in seeing that person is needing the love of Jesus and you're the person who's gonna give it to them. Lord, I pray that you would fill their hearts with supernatural love. As we see family members over the holidays that may be difficult, I pray for supernatural love. Not natural kindness, but a supernatural love that changes the atmosphere and changes their heart. And Lord, we do pray for our government. Lord, what a mess. We pray for mercy. We pray for hope. We pray for truth. And we'll pray for a supernatural unity that uh, someone in the parties would reach across the aisle and begin to build bridges and that, uh, and that your goodness would come into politics in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we pray for our city. Lord, that you would continue to, to bless and prosper. I pray for protection from any diseases. Lord, I thank you for Psalm 91 that no sickness can come near our dwelling. Lord, that you would protect us from COVID or any other garbage. And Lord, we just trust you for supernatural protection. And Lord, I bless each family in here. I bless them with your kindness. Lord, I thank you that your favor is upon them, Lord, that you're not in a bad mood. Uh, Lord, you've got nothing but grace and peace because of what Jesus has done. So we bless families. God, we pray over the holidays that there be a, a spirit of reconciliation that would come on families where there'd been harsh words or disappointments or shady money deals. That, Lord, there would be a grace covering that would pull people back together. In the name of Jesus, amen. Before we close, uh, two quick things. Uh, number one, is there anybody in here you do not know Jesus? And you're like, you know what? I, I, I've been hearing the message. Maybe God's been dealing with you for a long time. And you're like, you know what? I want to surrender my heart to Jesus. I want as much of Jesus in my life as possible. Is there anyone in here you're like, I need to trust Jesus. I haven't done that before. Or maybe you did a while ago and it's time to recommit. I'm just going to ask you to do something. But I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And we're going to pray with you. We're not trying to embarrass anybody. But Jesus said this, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. So is there anybody in here, you, you like, I want that good news in my life. I want heaven to invade my life. I'm just going to ask you, just be bold, just raise your hand. Is there anybody in here? Like, I need to trust Jesus. Anybody in here? All right, well, our ministry teams will be available afterwards. If you didn't raise your hand, you still want someone to pray with you. We would love to do that. And here's the last thing we want to do. And so uh, our, our church, we, we love uh, single parents. And so we know that sometimes that can be a difficult situation financially. 
And so here's what we want to do is we've got some gift cards available, and anyone else wants to jump in and participate and just um, uh, bring out some cash or if you've got some gift cards in your wallet. If there's any uh, single parents here and uh, you're like, you know what, it's been kind of a tough year. Again, we don't want to embarrass anybody. We want to bless you big time. But um, you, like, really don't have money for Christmas presents for the kids, and uh, we would just like to help with that, just to be a blessing. I know it's not the most important thing in the world, but uh, we think it's a big deal. We want to bless you. So if there's any single parents here, you, uh, you're like, you know what? It's been a little bit tough, and uh, we want to bless you. Again, we're not going to make you st- uh, stand up here or anything, uh, but we do want to bless you. We just be bold and just raise your hand. Is there anybody in here? You're like, okay, thank you. Anybody else? Guys, you're about to get blessed. <laughs> so is there anybody else? Okay, I only saw one hand. Am I missing anybody else? All right. Well, it looks like all of the blessing guns are getting pointed right back there. So if you could just slip your hand up for a second. If you guys want to pull out your uh, wallets, cash, uh, cards, if you want to participate. And we've also got some things that we, uh, we have prepared here. And so you can just stand up, go, and be a blessing. So... I know not everybody came prepared, but thanks for your generosity, guys. This is, this is a beautiful thing. Yay, God. My Christmas present to you is we're getting out before noon. You're welcome. I'm going to bank this time for a later time. So. I know some of you are like, hold on, we're not out yet. So you know what? That's the voice of experience. That's good. I want to thank you guys who have been, uh, been uh, agreeing with us for healing for my dad. Uh, he still needs a miracle, and so I appreciate you guys standing with us, and so uh, thank you for that. Hey, you know, it's really good that this has taken a while. This is Hey, good. Jim, can you talk about um, New Year's Eve and what we want them to do? Yeah, so this is just a weird situation with New Year's Eve. You know, there's this, uh, you know, I, my eyes have been a little bit open just to, you know, just being careful with someone who may be immunocompromised or breathing compromised and just doing everything we can to be careful to not take anything back. And so prophesying face-to-face for two hours in front of lots of different people, probably not the best thing in today's climate. I know some people, you're not worried about COVID. Other people are worried about it. You know, even in the Old Testament, they told you to wash your hands. I'm guessing many of you uh, wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. If you don't, I would encourage you to pick that up as a New Year's habit. But uh, there, there's something to be said. Like, there's things that we already do. And so, um, it, with just this climate, we just, uh, just want to be extra careful. We're not trying to move in fear. We're trying to move in wisdom. And so, we just had a little, you know, it was like, okay, we could stand six feet apart and yell the prophecy at them, you know. It's just like, eh, I don't know. And so, it's, you know what, we're an equipping church. And so, our thought was, you know what, we're going to, um, Mary and I are going to just kind of leave communion from the live stream. So, I encourage you guys, get some bread and some juice, you know, or you can use orange juice, you can use wine, you can use whatever you want. We don't care. You can use cinnamon rolls and milk. I don't care what you use. It's just symbolic. And so, but we're going we're gonna to lead you in that. But then we're also going to um, equip you on how to prophesy to each other. And so I think a lot of people, there is a little bit of a spookiness to it. But I think you're gonna, if you can pray for somebody, you can prophesy. You're going to see that it's, 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 it's that easy. And so 
We're going to do that. So we encourage you, I mean, get together in revival community groups. Get together with, uh, with your family. Uh, get together on Zoom afterwards with different people that you want to do. And just give the word of the Lord over each other. But uh, this is just our way of doing it to, to equip and to uh, still uh, use wisdom. And so I know not everybody's going to agree with it. I don't even know if I agree with it. But uh, this is how we're doing it. And so, uh, so just thanks for, thanks for jumping in there and going with it. All right, one last thing. we got a Normandy update. So we, uh, we were uh, doing kind of a 45-day sprint to the end of the year. So we got to December 31st. And so we are currently at 28,500. So we're almost to the demolition level of 37,000. So we are really close. So yeah, praise God for that. And so um, checks can be made payable to the Normandy Project, or you can uh, make a design and put Normandy in the, in the memo, but the Normandy Project works just good. There's a drop box in the lobby that, uh, for, for Normandy money. So I invite you guys to stand. It's still before noon. Mm-hmm. At least on my watch. I'm gonna...